Welcome to the Expansive CEO Podcast. I'm your host, Hannah Chapman, founder of Expansive CEO and X Squared Wealth Planning. Buckle in as we explore how to create true prosperity and build a business and a life that expands beyond yourself and makes a dent in the universe. Welcome everyone to this episode of the Expansive CEO Podcast. I'm your host, Hannah Chapman, and today I am speaking with my new friend, uh, who is part of a mastermind that I am in um, and just so honored uh, for you to be here. So happy to have connected. His name is Sly and he is an ex-chronic stutterer that morphed into an award-winning international touring musician who's been interviewed on live TV and radio in both English and French. He's the creator of a new public speaking system that turns ambitious introverts into charismatic speakers without scripts, without memorization, and without stress. And Sly, I am just so happy to have this conversation. We have some really awesome overlap in our experience, so we're going to talk some about that. But first, please tell us more about you, who you are, what you do, why you do it. I'm so happy. Oui, bonjour. Mon nom est Sylvain Haché, if anyone speaks French. I go by Sly in English because it's unpronounceable in English and unwritable on an English keyboard because of the uh, accent aigu. I got the chance to meet Anna in a mastermind, and I was in Costa Rica. We had a quick chat, and now I'm back in Montreal, Canada, frozen. I'm just chugging coffee to try to get myself warm. And um, when she says that was in used to be a chronic stutterer, this means people, if you don't know what that means, if you've seen this in movies, you see someone trying to say something, and then you see it's not coming out, and you feel like slapping the person behind the head, I don't want to get it out, what's wrong with you? Know that the person inside their own mind is also shouting at themselves internally. So no stutterer stutters in their mind as they're shouting at themselves what's wrong with you idiot just get it out so if you ever this is called the expansive ceo podcast i'm delighted to be here thanks again and if i didn't specify that enough if you want to hire creative people musicians are highly creative every artist is highly creative i'm an artist i'm a musician anna is too Stutterers are next level creative. I'm going to tell you why. Okay. Mm. I got interviewed once on a podcast like this by a guy who stutters. And he was like, yes, man. Like, unless you've stuttered, you don't know what I'm talking about. I'll just explain it to you. And I know as well, because she's used to having five lines with dots drawn to it. Oh, let me draw this for you. If you're watching on the other version, I'm just drawing five lines like a musical staff. Okay. Let me do this. This is amazing. I just thought about this. So a stutterer wants to say, can I have the salt, please? Or could you pass me the salt? May I have the salt? A stutterer at any time has five different ways of saying something going on in her mind, like five tracks. Because he or she knows that if ever M or S or B or T or whatever syllable jams on them, he has a different way of saying that. So I once drew this to make an explanation to the Stutterers Association. So let me just draw five lines here. If something jams, 
and then I'm gonna draw this and show it to Anna, which which could literally play this. You know, she could understand the music behind mm -hmm. that five lines. So, if you want to hire, that would be cruel as a CEO to hire a stutterer to answer the phone for your business. That's bad for business. But if you want somebody to find five different ways of saying your message, five different ways of saying the hook, five different subtitles for your ideas, it's like the precursor of ChatGPT. Just the words will jam on you. So in the pre-show, Anna, we're discussing, you know, what are we going to talk about? It'll be a few minutes, say hi. I mean, it's like, what are we talking about? And a lot, one of the questions a lot of people ask me is like, why are you so confident that you can make people confident? Hmm. This is a classic, yep. it's a valid question, classic question. So let's take all the training out. Let's take the NLP out. Let's take the advanced spiritual states out. Let's take the international touring and getting interviewed on TV out. Let's take the NHR and the DHE, which is neurohypnotic neuro repatterning, design human engineering. Let's take that out. Let's take the shamanism training out. Let's take direct response sales out. Let's take door-to-door -door sales knocking on people to get in. Let's take all this out. It's the fact that I'm not impressed by your problems, mm. by the severity of your problems. So picture this, Anna. Anna is the um, is a professional, very, very good flutist and a professional, very, very good finance person. So if someone says, I have to go play a show on flute next week and I have to play the major scale, the first five tones, da, 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 da. She's not impressed by the degree of the task to be performed. Or someone says, oh, I'm afraid I might, my place, my money might go up and down 10,000 this week or this month. She's not impressed by the severity of that problem. So right. as somebody who could not even make a damn sound before in another language that now coaches international keynote speakers and TV hosts, if someone comes to me and says, Oh man, I gotta do a talk next week. It's gonna be like 300 people, and oh, I'm really nervous. The sheer unconfidence that I have in their problem, I don't believe the bullshit. They're telling themselves something. Oh, I hope Bob is impressed. I hope they like me. I hope I'm gonna be good enough. I hope it goes well. I'm not impressed by the severity of those problems. So, there's a thing called social agreements. Think about this. When somebody is afraid of getting on stage and speaking or getting on camera or making getting live on Facebook or on LinkedIn for your business, like you know you probably should, there's a social deal where that fear is reinforced. Uh, like 75% of people are terrified of public speaking. Right. So when you talk about it to someone, they go, oh, of course, I hope it goes well. Right, they, so they're validated in that fear. They feel that it's normal because it is. It's not natural. It's normal. So the difference between natural and normal. So, Anna, um, remind me the 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 city. Are you in? I'm in Cincinnati, Arizona? Ohio, right now. Ohio, Cincinnati. Mm -hmm. So do you you have squirrels in Cincinnati? Oh, tons of squirrels. Yeah. And so squirrels, we have squirrels here. I got, I saw squirrels in Costa Rica. It was 36 outside. Now it's, here's minus 36. Squirrels are adaptable. 
Have you ever seen a squirrel being afraid of being a squirrel in front of other squirrels? No. <laughs> That's because it's natural. You don't. So the, the 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 beast that we are, the animal. Okay, there's the spirit, there's the soul, there's the consciousness, there's the energy, there's the universe. Then there's the mind, then there's the thoughts, the beast itself, the living thing that eats stuff and you know moves around. This is a natural part of natural world. It's not natural for a human to be afraid of being a human in front of other humans. Mm. But it's normal, as in the norm. So we talk about finance with stats and norms and stuff. It's the it's seventy five percent of people. So it, because it is normal, as in the norm. People kind of agree with your fear. So if we take out all the tech, last time I counted, Anna, I have a thing called the Transformational Coaching Vault. I had 125 ways of helping people with this. Mm. Magnet therapy, shamanic holograms, stuff that makes just thoughts go away. But if you remove all that, it's just the sheer, I'm just not impressed by the severity of the problem. And when people, it just kind of stifles them. And it just kind of snaps them out of it. Hmm. And we always do this before you open your mouth to speak. So if you have the chance, people, to get invited by the wonderful Anna here. On her, I, I thought there was somebody else. I thought it was Anna and somebody else. Uh, was there like two people on the oh, no I, partner of the podcast? No. I thought there was a somewhere. No. On Fridays, I usually um, have my chief investment officer brad haynes come so usually okay. fridays are me and brad together um but nope it's so just me i'm the headliner the, you have the chance to be invited with, with the brad okay because i thought it was two names so maybe this is what i saw and you come in as a guest and you're self-conscious you're screwed before you open your mouth you can memorize your lines you can have your stuff rhyme you can have the polished suit you can have your, your your pin on your suit match your background. But if you're self-conscious and you're, oh, I hope Anna likes me or I hope the audience doesn't think I'm an asshole and all that type of stuff that's going on inside. If you don't take care of that before you open your mouth, you're screwed before you even do. Because that Don Quixoteized, Don, Don Quixoteizes your message. You know uh, Don Quixote? Yeah, I didn't read it in high school, actually. I know. Tell me what you mean, though. So just in well, case anyone else didn't read it. Yeah. <laughs> so here's how to not screw yourself up and Don Quixote your own message. So Don Quixote was kind of a uh, an, an, an imaginary knight fighting imaginary dragons. This guy read so much chivalry books. He, became, he just thought he was a knight. And he was going around and fighting imaginary dragon, being in moral high ground and stuff. But he could never win because... There is no dragon. He is not a knight. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yep. You never get around to it because, like, you would, there's nothing there. So you're just fighting air and you just exhaust yourself. So if you're secretly thinking that your offer sucks, nobody will buy this. What's the use anyway? I hope they don't figure out I'm an asshole or that I drink on the side or whatever problems they try to hide. So stuff that's in the background of your mind. If you don't deal with that first, it seems true. It comes across, you bake it in the cake of your messaging. Mm. So people wonder, like, why do you teach confidence before messaging? Because most people think, well, 
here's how public speaking training works. And by the way, this is just, it makes total business sense. That's why people teach messaging first. It's the easiest thing to teach in the world. Mm-hmm. Say this, say that, now memorize it, and then go get laughed at until you get confident. Next. It just makes total business sense in terms of a castle of bringing people in. Right. So the, the promise is if I somehow memorize words, if I know what to say, then I practice and practice and practice and practice in front of a mirror and do some sort of an affirmation thing or whatever they do. Then I go get laughed at in public. I'll get humiliated. Then I'll practice again, practice again, practice again. Then I'll get humiliated, maybe five, six, seven, eight times. Then I'll feel confident to go and deliver that speech that I prepared by heart that I know. But then I'm only confident in that particular one speech, which is a specific time. Mm -hmm. If the timing goes off, if the other speaker doesn't show up, if you need, like before we started this, I needed to restart my computer. There was a glitch in my computer today. Let's say I will, let's say this was all a memorized thing and I'm just dragging you through a hypnotic process of trying to get you to like me or something, right? People have these crazy things that they have crazy plans of in this step-by-step. All right. You memorize all that by heart. If you have to restart your computer, you're screwed in your process. So there's always, or the clicker doesn't work. The phone rings in the audience. The organizer of the event asks you to do another five minutes on stage. I got nothing else. What do you do? So what we do is we start with confidence. We, we have a process called where does it hurt? Anna says, well, not Anna because you know, she's a rock star, but uh, let, let's, let, let's say Diana. Diana comes and says, oh, man, I get weird feelings when people look at me on stage. People take this at face value. It's okay. Where does it hurt? You know, when you go to the doctor, he asks you what? Where does it hurt? Well, it's kind of here. Well, what, where? Okay. So what we do when someone says weird feelings or weird thoughts, playing catastrophic movies of getting laughed at on stage, being ridiculed, being kicked out, being unloved, unworthy, not good enough, blah, blah, blah. We literally say like, where, where does it hurt? They go, I never thought about that. I said, I know. So we have them draw the damn thing on a piece of paper. We have like body uh, diagrams, you have to draw it where it is. And then we show you how to circle it with your awareness. In time and in space, Anna. In time and in space. So in time, it's like, okay, I feel this here. This is my, like a feeling in my gut, okay? Since when? I don't know. So we have people on the timeline of their life, stick it out there. And when you Circle it with your awareness in space. Well, it's like this big, it's like this thick. And it's been there since I was seven years old. Then you ha- you kind of extrapolate back to almost cosmic consciousness to see your whole life on a timeline with you, with that thing stuck in your belly. We just have people then focus on that thing like a drug-sniffing dog at the airport. Mm-hmm. You know, I was, I was like, they just had the dog sniff that. And then go fetch. So you just go fetch all the thoughts, emotions, and feelings that are linked to that. So people have this whole big list of why they think they suck and they're not good enough and they can't speak with confidence or they can't speak like a natural. And when I'm saying all these stuff, people, 
I know what it feels like. Remember, I could not even speak before. So if ever you think of something and the words actually kind of come out, but you just edit them because you're not safe, but it actually, it makes sounds, you're better off than where I started. So mm -hmm. I'm not like, you know, like being arrogant or something like that. Once we have that, depending on, some people are highly visual, some people are more kinesthetic, some people are auditory, some people are cannot even feel their feelings, some people are highly spiritual, some people don't believe in anything. So we have some people that, like advanced meditators that are into God, that's their thing. We have techniques for that. We have people that believe in nothing. This is all just a fluke, a bunch of billiard balls, and it's just a fluke. There was a big bang thingy, and then there you go. Now we got Vision Apple Vision Pro. Fluke. <laughs> so we got techniques for these people too. So depending on the level of consciousness, the beliefs, and so you never have the way that we have people live transformations that stick. It's called ecology in NLP. So that it can generalize to their behaviors is that we never have them believe something that they don't believe. So you work with the belief of someone. So it's, I'm colorblind. Okay. So if this is kind of brownish, this is kind of brownish. Yes, it okay, is. But sometimes, <laughs> sometimes I will say a color and somebody says, no, that's not it. Okay. So I know I'm colorblind. So I just, whatever you say. Okay. So in terms of dealing with inner stuff though, it's either we completely destroy someone's expectations of a problem and how it will go so it goes faster for them. Like when they realize that I'm not scared of their fear, that kind of stifles them. So it just shakes the nut, the, the bolts just a little bit, just untightens the bolts. And then from there, we just use whatever they're thinking. If they believe in God, we have them observe God, remove that obstacle from their life their habit fields, their perceptions, their auras, their chakras, their energy, their experiences, their life, their future, and everything else. They believe in nothing. We have them place these thoughts into nothingness. If somebody, somebody believes this is all meaningless, this is all a fraud and a void, and it's just a fluke and there's nothing at all, well, we have a process for them. We, we call it emotional arrogance to holding on to something if it's meaningless <laughs> so yeah it's just working with already existent now i've because i've been doing coaching since i'm 16 okay so like coaching people getting them to do stuff and i realized if you go against the grain of what they believe they fight you mm -hmm. but if you side with them and you use their convictions their values their drivers and their beliefs you actually get a double push, a double whammy. But the trick to get people great transformations is to not do it on a superficial level. So you go on the presuppositions of what they believe. Mm -hmm. And when you address these presuppositions, um, you got to be careful of what you do. You got to stay on the right side of the force. But this is where people get to the place where they go, holy shit, everything is changing at once effortlessly. It's because of a process called your blind spot of greatness. So if I want to invest, I have blind spot about investments. I speak to Anna. Okay, blind spots. We all know the concept of blind spots. It's a bad thing. Here's the opposite. It's called the blind spot of greatness. So for people that uh, 
don't do high-end coaching or high-level coaching. Here's what we do. Uh, somebody says, I have this problem and that problem and this problem and that problem and this sort of thing. We just take notes and we identify what all these seeming problems are a manifestation of. And we find what we call a cause. Then we go maybe two or three levels below that cause and we find a root cause. And we teach people to cut down trees, not just remove branches because that can take a lot of years. So when we remove the root cause of a problem, they go, oh my God, how'd you do that? All these problems just went away at once. That's yeah. what pretty much the process, how we do it. Okay, well, we reverse it now. You're listening to this podcast. You are an expensive CEO. I love your heart. I love the way you ex want to expand. You want to grow. You are saving the world, dear CEO, dear entrepreneur. Okay? I honor and respect you a lot. You want to go, but then you feel there's resistance. You feel there's something that's like pushing against and It's like it's a resistance and stuff. The concept of the blind spot of greatness is not that you are a little wimpy piece of schmick and that you're trying to get to that big place and then there's a gap, you know, and you will not will yourself there and, you know, try to jump up and down, get excited about this. The concept of the blind spot of greatness is that all these visions you have and these goals that you want to achieve in 10 years and whatever it is, it's not that you're trying to become this, is that you are already that and all these goals are nothing but a symptom of that future identity pulling you towards it. Mm -hmm. So think of it as the opposite of a problem. It's just you've been dented and caved in and bent a little bit. So what you see there is just the undenting and the uncaving of your confidence to step into what you already are. When you just come from that frame, you're not trying to become something. You're not trying to fake it till you make it. You're just removing the obstacles to your natural buoyancy, your natural brilliance, and your natural state, if that helps. Okay, so I there were several things that I wanted to respond to um, in what you said that was absolutely beautiful. And from so for listeners who aren't aware. I don't, I don't remember the last time I talked about this on the podcast. I know I've mentioned it before, but my, my degree from Northern Arizona university is actually in lute performance. So I started my, you know, uh, adult life, um, with a flute performance degree. I originally went to, um, school for music education, went through quite a few, of the education courses, um, learning lots of different instruments. I played several instruments growing up. I played flute, French horn, piano, sang, all the things. Um, and when I took my first general education course, like to go, like you had to then, after you did some of the music education courses, you had to go do general ed courses. And that was the first time I was like, nope, not doing that. I do not... <laughs> Nope, I, I have no desire to like write curriculums for entire years and like do it like, nope, that's not how I want to how I want to live. Um, and so that I think that was my sophomore year, my junior year, I switched to performance only. And so I finished my degree in performance. And I also built one of the largest flute studios in Flagstaff in my in the, you know, the town that I lived in, um, teaching children how to play the flute. And I absolutely loved it. 
it was like such, such a joy. And so when you were saying, you know, like you can't, you can't like convince someone out of their issue, right. You have to come alongside them and look at it with them and be like, oh, okay. Yeah. Mm -hmm, I see that. Well, what if we try this thing? What if we acknowledge what you're experiencing and then we try, just try something a little different and to get them to experiment with new ways of moving with the instrument. Um, so that would like, that was like one of my first, you know, the first times that I can think of that I really like coached and taught, I, you know, taught kind of naturally for, um, my whole life, but that was like literally building a flute studio, teaching kids, you know, fifth graders through 12th graders. Um, and I absolutely loved it. And then when we moved from Flagstaff to Cincinnati, where we are now, um, that's when I really moved into finance and have loved that as well. Like the numbers, exactly what you're saying again. The other thing I wanted to respond to was your mention of, you know, like, I'm not impressed by your problems. <laughs> I want to put it that way. And it not not in a way that sounds harsh, but people will come to me and when we're talking about money and money is a very um you know, very emotional topic. People carry a lot of guilt or shame or stress around their finances in so many different ways and they'll think that they're doing it all wrong or they they'll think that they're missing something really important or they're so far behind or they should be doing something different. And so when we get into it, when we start talking about things, when I start, when they, I've had literally had that conversation where someone was like, Oh, I thought you were going to think this was so much worse. And I'm like, Oh no, this is fine. Like, I'm not, I'm not stressed about this. I see 40,000 different ways that we can go about, you know, creating what you want. And I'll help you whittle that down to the you know, right options for you. But just that level of security of, oh, she's not worried. So I don't have to be worried. Got it. <laughs> like that, that is very tangible um, result of working with someone who, you know, has been through this with so many other people. Uh, so that that way that we can relate to each other, you know, from a musicianship standpoint, from having um, like mastered different instruments, um, spent, you know, that very high level, very um, dedicated craft, like really honing something, practicing for hours and hours and hours and really dedicating yourself to it uh, really brings about a different level of mastery, understanding, you know, understanding of process, understanding of how to um, master something, right? I think that's all very important when it comes to, you know, talking about musicianship or artistry or, um, you know, bringing that into the creative process. Because entrepreneurs, I think this is another reason why, I know this is another reason why I love working with entrepreneurs, is that that sense of creativity, right? Whatever you're doing, it's very creative. It's very um, you're putting something new into the world and it's coming from your heart. And the more that we can help you make it even more from the heart, let you be even more aligned with that vision. Like that's where the magic happens, I think. Um, so yeah, there's just, again, so much resonance between us and this, the same um, ethos, I think, 
of how we work just in different areas. Right. And um, the last thing I want to say and respond to was that I get a lot of when I speak on stage, I speak a lot or in front of groups or, you know, d- you know different things. People will do that same thing where they're like, oh, are you nervous? Is, are, is it going to be OK? Like, oh, yeah, I'm fine. But then sometimes I'll, I'll mention you're like, I actually did a degree in performance like this is not <laughs> it's not that that's a thing that was never scary. It was that I learned how to work through. I learned what I needed to do in order to you know, feel those feelings or feel like feel the nerves coming up in my chest, feel the nerves like moving through my body and allow them to move in through out of my body so that I can keep performing. Um, And that was all a practice and all a process. And when I speak, I think it's so much more freeing actually than playing because when I played, I didn't do a lot of jazz. That wasn't really my thing. Um, but I played classical music. I played, you know, standard repertoire and whatnot. And it's orchestras and bands. And when I had to play from memory, it it was all on a page, right? So I was I was reading music or had memorized it completely and was playing what I memorized. And there wasn't as much freedom within that expression. It was like, you know, performing to a page is what I was really good at in college. And actually coming out and speaking and being able to like connect with my heart and then speak from my heart that's performing from a sense of like, oh, this is me. I'm sharing me. I'm not, I'm sharing my work. I'm not, I'm not perfecting someone else's work and presenting it. So it's been a beautiful evolution there too. I love it so much. Um, You made me think of three different things there. I just took a note. We got my, don't do your, don't sell like an accountant, but don't, do your taxes like a salesman skit. Ooh, yeah, you, <laughs> what is so, this? <laughs> yeah. So at the beginning when I created this, I had a, a concept was, I was wondering why do most speeches suck so bad? And I started a podcast and I interviewed like uh, 25, 30 people. Episode 16, I was interviewing the president of the global speakers federation and my podcast was always the same question you know the intro blah 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 right? first question why do most speeches suck so bad and people were like oh shit so they would kind of get the level of okay what did, did, did we start with this yeah that was number one always and on the recording you can see me going like this the, the first guy who got the answer that i was looking for and that i thought and that it was going on was Uh, Steve Lowell, and uh, he said, the speaker has to be better than the speech. Mm. It's it's not about what you say. It's about who you are as you're saying it kind of stuff. And I just lost my train of thought because I was thinking about something else about what you were saying. So combine that with what you were saying, which was, like as you're playing, okay? So you go in there and you're, you're playing. Oh yeah, I remember now. So I was saying, why in the world would somebody hire a non-stage performer to teach you about stage performance, which is speaking? When you get on stage and you speak, you're CEO of a pop rivet company, okay? The second you get on stage to speak about pop rivets, 
Well, that's a show. I'm afraid. I'm sorry. There's a stage. There's 2,000 people. There's big lights. You got a microphone. It's a show. Right. Okay. In, in show as in to demonstrate, you're demonstrating something. You're making a demonstration. You want people to see the vision. You want the employees to get uh, excited about the vision or you want the people to buy. Or you, want to, you want them to do something. It's a choreography. It's a show. You're on stage. You're doing something. It's not like when you're at the office with your name tag and they automatically respect you. You are a physical body or you are a consciousness, depending on what you think you are, in front of an audience and you're sparking something in them. You're making them get it. You're making them see it. You're making them buy into, into it. So this person got it in. And then I told the story. Was, I was shopping around for accountants. And then they were all cool. So I was doing Zoom calls like this with accountants. You know, I'm based in Quebec and they're based in some other place and we're checking the things. And they're all cool and nice. And then there was a switch. And then they would go. <clears throat> and then they would get stiff. The blood in their face would just draw out. And then they would go into their script of sales now. And it was horrible. Mm -hmm. So it, it was like conversational rapport, conversational rapport, conversational sales now. Tight ass script. And I was like, oh, shit, don't. Because I'm thinking, don't sell like an accountant. But then don't do your taxes like a salesman. Meaning also you, you also, you just can't wing the whole thing. You need some structure. Yep. So I had this skit. And then I interviewed somebody who has a public speaking company that she was a, uh, a performer singing for opera and playing guitar. And I told her that skit. Saying this as in a way to relate with her like we're relating now. So you get the performance aspect. And I just said that. Don't do your taxes like an accountant joke. And I say, what, like the same reason you would not hire a flutist to give you international mergers and acquisition tax advice. I don't get why somebody would hire a non-stage person to give stage advice. So you have a case of office employees training office employees on stage advice. That's why most people suck so bad on stage. But I failed to realize that she had a, a team and the other people on her team were not musicians. Mm -hmm. So that analogy went bad. So I'm so happy to have Anna here, which is a legit musician, a legit flutist that can legit give you great tax advice or financial. Can. <laughs> I'm very happy about that. So I will not use the, you will not, uh, how would you would not use a flutist to give you tax advice? So because of you now, I remove this analogy from the analogy book. <laughs> unless, you I, can put a caveat there that unless they actually are. Unless it's Anna. Both a flutist and financial advisor. <laughs> but the, the main thing, so that's why people get trained that way. So if you're a CEO of a big corporation, they hire this public speaking com uh, company to come and train you. They bring cameras on the home turf at the office. You walk in there with your imaginary name tag or the C-suite executive. Or the boss with their imaginary name tag that everybody there's implied respect. And then they have you some sort of memorize a little bit of an NLP trick or something like that on the home turf with a camera. And then they film you there in the conference room that you pay for. 
and then they they give you some pointers on camera. So okay, do this now. Yeah. Project your voice, and then they got these little things that they do. And then per people say, check, I'm good enough to go. I got my public speaking training. Then person walks on stage. The imaginary name tag disappears. Adrenaline kicks in. The blood thickens to avoid bleeding to death in case of an emergency encounter with a tiger, tiger because that's, that's, what, that's what's going on. Mm -hmm. So in the main, main sense that if somebody trains for martial arts, they utilize these little fancy kung fu tricks. When you go to a street fight, that doesn't work anymore because it's just big motions like elbows and knees and stuff. So in the same way, you lose your um, fancy words all of a sudden and you go back to your baseline of training, which is nothing, or the little training that you did at the office with the camera on your own turf where you felt confident and in your place. All of a sudden, you're out of confidence, no imaginary name tag, heart beating, the thoughts starts to cave in. The presence starts to cave in. The eyes start to focus on the mic and you're freaking out. And you're wondering, oh, how's that working out? So one of the reasons people suffer so much is because they're not used to projecting their bubble the size of an audience. Mm. They're one-on-one -on -one all day at the office. So they, they're highly expert one-on-one -on -one calibrators. And I just mimicked something about the throat here when I was talking about blood. Expert negotiators will check your pulse when they say something and they will check your nostrils, how you breathe, how you react, how you come back. For, so one-on-one, -on -one, they're expert negotiators. Two-on-one, -on -one, they can still do it. When you start to get three-on-one, you lose that capacity to precisely calibrate and you need to go to peripheral vision. Mm. Peripheral audition, peripheral feelings, and scanning the room for the energy of the room. If that's not a part of your real house and you get on stage in front of a few hundred people, unless you have a miracle, you're screwed. Yeah. And when Anna was talking about this is expressing myself, this is expressing my heart, the way you get... I don't know. If, I don't know how long we have. Are we? Do we have a few more minutes? I don't know if. Yeah, a couple more minutes, and then we'll we'll bring it home. <laughs> yeah, because I just wanted to tell people how they can have effortless influence on an audience without scripts or stress or memorization. So the way you do that, when Anna said that as she was teaching flute to kids, she was loving this, and at one point when you try to teach people. If you're confrontational, you realize, oh, shit, that's not going to work. You got to see it from their perspective. And when you see it that way, you can, oh, that's why she's screwed because you understand what the person does not understand. Mm -hmm. And you see what they need to get in order to understand what you need them to understand to move to the next part. When you base your messaging off of what the audience already wants, regardless of you existing or not. So Anna, let's go with financial services. People want security, peace of mind. That's pretty much the, the thing. Those are the big ones, yeah. Yeah. So of course, gain and greed. So some sort of a mix of gain and peace of mind, mm -hmm. right? The ideal mix and every different you know, product has a different mix of that. So when you start to ask yourself, so what does 
peace of mind want the audience to do? Mm. If you could become an embodiment of peace of mind, you are peace of mind. So you take a blood sample of yourself and you do like this and you go, yeah. DNA sample, peace of mind. When this starts to inform your messaging, the type of stories you choose, how you talk, how you move, what kind of slides you create, and how you make your points and how you land your ideas, you're in such a way that in the back of their minds, they naturally fit with that because the opposition that they would have is usually the uh, fight, internal fight between what they really want and what they think that they want. Mm -hmm. So they want to multiply their money, but they're afraid of losing it. Yeah. So the afraid of losing it prevents them from making the move of investing. So if you speak as peace of mind from within their mind, and we have processes for that type of messaging, when you speak from that point and all the stories are told from that point, you can even, you can have the, in French we say, la pas du gain, the uh, attraction of gain mm -hmm. be a thing that they see from the angle of peace of mind. So it's not as if the uh, attraction of gain is opposite to peace of mind. It's together. And the way you do this is you just start your first thing. You ask yourself, what does insert big desire of the audience, in your case, peace of mind, want the audience to do? Mm. And then why won't you do that? And then you get an objection stack, like you always do. And that objection stack is what you overcome. So you're, overcome, you're overcoming objection stories, your objection handling sequence, is helping the audience overcome the thing that what they already want to do wants them to do. So you're, yeah, the, the feeling you had when you're reciting with your students, you can get this in front of an audience of 2,000 people at once. Mm. And it releases the pressure of selling. And if you combine that with don't do your taxes like a salesman, but don't sell like an accountant. If you remove the, here's the teaching part, teaching part, teaching part. Oh, now it's the sales part. If you remove that. So you don't teach, 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 sell. You teach, sell all the way through. It's a crossfade. Musician, people, producers, it's a crossfade. You select the two tracks and you press X on your keyboard. Crossfade. And if that crossfade is made in a way that the stories are meant to help the audience overcome the objections that their subconscious mind already wants to do, but they're not doing because they're, insert reasons why, you have what we call effortless influence. And this is the basic principles of what we call charismatic messaging. Mm. In a nutshell. Oh, that is so, so good. I want to like just encourage everyone to like go back, like rewind like five minutes and listen to all of that again. Um, I'm going to because it's so good. It's so it's like a, you just articulated what it is that I've done, like you said, in one on one settings and in group settings as well. But just you articulated it in such a clear way that it's like, oh, that's exactly it. Yeah. Like be be that peace of mind. Um, I've had people even tell me like you you embody peace, like financial peace. Like that's the thing that they feel when they're with me. And so, yeah, to like imagine like expanding that bubble 
and just bringing the audience into that into that bubble of financial peace with me and how do we get there how do what does financial peace want you to do to overcome those fears so so perfect so sly if people want to get more of you experience more of you what is the best way for people to get in touch with you follow you any of that how can they how can they get more just think about me real real hard and i show up perfect just think, yeah, yeah, yeah. Just, like mary yeah, poppins about, yeah just think really really hard that it's kind of hey you go to nextlevelpublicspeaking.com nextlevelpublicspeaking.com and then there's more free tools in there for what most people can handle if you can just go past the free tools we got way more where that comes from but start with that i mean from checklists to tools to recordings to i mean it's just insane mm. next level public speaking.com beautiful that will be in the show notes if anyone has any questions at all please please reach out send us a dm um you know post a comment, anything like that. And we, you know, we'll get right back to you um, with that. But Sly, thank you so much for this beautiful conversation. I, again, I just appreciate you being here and I've loved, absolutely loved getting to know you. So thank you so much. And we will see you next time. Thanks. That's it for this episode. Thanks for listening and be sure to like and subscribe. And again, if anything resonated with you from this episode, I would love to hear from you. Email me at Hannah, H-A-N-N-A-H, at expansiveceo.com and tell me about it. And if you're ready for your greatest expansion, you can find ways to work with me at expansiveceo.com and at xsquaredwealthplanning.com. That's X, the numeral two, wealthplanning.com. So until next time, remember that there is enough, you are enough, and your birthright in this lifetime is to be expansive.